Support for WPR comes from the American Society of Landscape Architects Wisconsin Chapter. Dedicated to reimagining the design of outdoor spaces for the well-being of all. Examples at WIASLA.com. Support for WPR comes from Schultz Nonprofit Law, sharing WPR's mission to inform and inspire, and providing advice for nonprofits, cooperatives, and other social enterprises. SchultzNonprofitLaw.com. You're listening to Central Time. I'm Shereen Seward in for Rob Ferrett. Now, whether you're stocking your first kitchen or adding to your growing collection, it's sometimes hard to know which kitchen items are right for your personal cooking needs. We talk to the authors of The Ultimate Guide to Kitchen Gadgets, from wooden spoons to espresso machines and everything in between. You can join in at 800-642-1234. What are your must-have tools, appliances, and gadgets in the kitchen? Do you have a brand that you always trust to do the job? What's your favorite kitchen item to give as a housewarming or wedding gift? And what questions do you have for our kitchen gearheads? Call 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or post on the Ideas Network Facebook page. Lisa McManus and Hannah Crawley are executive editors for America's Test Kitchen and co-hosts of ATK's Gearheads on YouTube. They're co-authors of the new book, Kitchen Gear, The Ultimate Owner's Manual. Hannah, welcome to Central Time. And Lisa, welcome back. Thank you for having us. So Lisa, yeah, glad to have you. Lisa, whether we're moving into a new place, our first place, or downsizing, sometimes it's hard to know what we need in our kitchen and, and what we can safely leave out. So my question is, what are the absolute musts, the absolute kitchen essentials that we have to have to cover most of the bases? Well, we really think about it in terms of having a few pieces that will do different, uh, multiple things for you. So I would say start with a good 12-inch skillet because you can always cook less food in a big skillet, but not the other way around. Um, We love cast iron. Um, That's a good all-purpose skillet. We love a Dutch oven, which is a big pot, Um, at least six quarts, seven is fine too. That gives you a lot of flexibility in cooking soups and stews or doing anything really big. We bake bread in that. We deep fry in that. So the pieces that you choose really give you some flexibility. You want a really good chef's knife that's nice and sharp, a good cutting board, gives you plenty of space to chop things. Um, And really that's, you know, with those couple of pieces, you can really start and build from there. Hannah, what do you think about single use gadgets like apple cores or potato mashers, things that are just for one thing? Do you think they're worth the space or... Could we accomplish the task without them? I think if they're worth it for you, they're worth the space. Like your examples, for example, Lisa has an apple core that she loves and uses every year and it brings her absolute delight in the fall. So I think that's worth it. And also like potato mashers, for example, we do different things with potato mashers. So I think that sometimes you can think creatively and they're not actually a one hit wonder. And part of our book is talking about getting, um, more use out of quote-unquote single-use gadgets and seeing what else they can do for you so you don't end up with a lot of clutter you're not using and you use the tools you have. Hannah, give me a couple of examples. Like, what can you do with a potato masher besides just smashed potatoes? Uh, They're actually great for making guacamole. Mm. Um, Believe it or not, they can mash perfectly but not too finely, Um, especially if you have one arm, which I did when my arm was in a sling and found (laughs) this out. 
<laughs> you found out the hard way then. <laughs> I did. It was worth it though. Lisa, I'm, I'm going to ask you, what are there things that are really just a gimmick? Things that you can safely say, you know, forget it. You just don't need that. Oh, boy. Of course, I can't think of a thing right in this moment. Um, <laughs> uh, you don't really need chopping devices. If you have a good knife and you keep it sharp and you have a cutting board, you don't need all kinds of specialized choppers. There's so many things on the market just to design to not have you use the knife you already have. Hannah, what are some new or trendy kitchen items any any new essentials that you've tried that you really like new essentials well i think we are all so into these indoor pizza ovens that can get like professional pizza oven temperatures like the breville pizzaiolo at a new model from uni and they're just so fun and the pizza they make is incredible and it's just like a reason for a party too i love that like i'm like come over i'm making pizza and 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 you can really personalize all the pizzas uh on the other hand they are a thousand dollars um lisa and i are gonna do coming i know right Mm -hmm. uh upcoming episode on gearheads of these two there's really two top models in the game right now one from breville and one from uni Mm -hmm. so we're gonna battle it out in an upcoming episode of gearheads called the battle ultimate battle of the thousand dollar pizza ovens do you feel like those prices will come down eventually when when more uh, manufacturers come out with them? I I sure hope so, but I do think they're also pretty pricey to get something that can sit indoors on your countertop and get up to, you know, eight, nine, a thousand degrees. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty cool, though. I mean, I've, I've seen oh, some videos and, oh, boy, it's on my want list. But, man, it's so steep. Lisa McManus yeah. and Danny, Hannah Crawley are executive editors for America's Test Kitchen. They are co-hosts of ATK's Gearheads on YouTube, co-authors of the new book Kitchen Gear, the Ultimate Owner's Manual. Is there a kitchen gadget that transformed your cooking regime? Call in 800-642-1234. So Lisa, if we're going to shell out big bucks for an appliance or item, pizza aside, are there items where cost really does equal quality? Um, Very, very often we can find things that have some of the qualities of the top priced items that are more affordable. Um, But occasionally you do need to spend a little more. Um, we've tested a lot of food processors, for instance, and, you know, our favorite is around $200. You can get a cheaper one, but they really don't perform on the same level. Um, blenders, we have a mid-price blender in the $200 range. When you get around 100 and less, they're just, you know, big counter decorations. They don't do anything. Yeah. They get stuck right away. So sometimes you got to pay a little more, especially if you're doing a lot of asking a lot of that appliance. Yeah. Hannah, what about the opposite? Where where are there some high-end versions that are really just the same as cheap ones? I mean, where you could save money by, uh, you know, just opting for the less expensive version. Is there a certain appliance that comes to mind? Well, the first thing that comes to mind isn't an appliance necessarily, but like a good kitchen knife. For example, our winner from Victorinox is about 40 bucks. And you can find gorgeous knives that, you know, get into several hundreds of dollars and Trust me, they're fantastic, and I want one too. But this $40 knife from Victorinox does a heck of a good job. And so I don't think you have to spend a ton to get great performance on a knife. Sure. Hannah, we we have some Facebook comments that came in. Jacqueline said that her hand-cranked pasta maker was a waste of money. Do you think those hand-cranked pasta makers are worth it? 
Um, it's funny. I have one. I love it. I haven't used it in two years. So I feel her pain. I think it's like, oh, they sure are fun. If if you use it, it's worth it. Again, like if you use it, it's worth it. Me, I still want mine now that I have it. Someday I'll have a pasta party. But like, no, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm not using that every weekend by any means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know I have one too. And um, I've only used it once. But I loved it when I used it. So it's, it's exactly. Yeah. Well, Lisa, for... Gearheads like you two is probably unrealistic to stick to just the basics. How do you manage space in your kitchen to store it all? I, I mean, this is something that I struggle with, trying to find where to put everything. Oh, definitely. I mean, we do have some tips for how to store things. Uh, one thing I'll say is if you want to use a cast iron pan more, don't put it on a low or high shelf. Keep it on the same level as your stovetop, and you will be able to grab it and move it there more easily and use it more often. Um you can, we have ways to organize your spices, your utensils, and a lot of it just comes down to keep the things close to you that you use really often. And things like that pasta roller that you're only going to use a couple times a year, don't have it in a primo spot that you have to reach past to get the things you use every day. So really think about the core of what you're using and build out from there. And Lisa, I also want to ask you about cast iron. Why is cast iron so popular still? I mean, it's something that has been around forever. What makes it so superior in your in your opinion? I think two things. One is the reason it's been around forever is that that those pans are durable. You know, short of like, I don't know, running it over with a tank, they won't break. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing going to happen to them. So many things that we buy in this world wear out and a cast iron pan won't if you treat it with just any kind of uh, routine care that just keeps it in good shape. But even if, even if it gets rusty, you can scrub it, oil it, heat it and go back to using it. The other is that it's real thick material that is super heat retaining. So if you want some beautiful browning, whether you're searing something or you're baking something in it, like cornbread, or if you're searing a steak, or you can get fantastic color on your food because it will retain that heat and then radiate it back. And it's really, it's a beautiful pan and it will last forever and it's not expensive. Right. Sometimes yeah. you can find them, uh, you know, at a thrift shop or a flea market for next to nothing. And but I guess my question is, what's the best way to take care of it? Hannah, how do you keep those cast iron pans clean? You know, this isn't something you can throw in the dishwasher. Yeah, definitely don't do that. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot from Lisa over the years. She really is our cast iron expert. And I think my favorite thing I've learned from her is that you don't need to use a ton of oil you know, so with a cast iron pan, after you use it, you want to wash it, you know, just a scrub brush and water is usually sufficient. You can use a little soap if you need to. And then you put it on the burner to warm up and dry off and just like a teaspoon of oil and rub it all around and then leave it on the stovetop to dry. Um, and I've, I've learned that from Lisa um, and it really works. And my cast iron pan is probably my definitely my most used skillet. Lisa, what other things can't be thrown in the dishwasher besides cast iron pans? This is my endless, endless um, stump speech. It's like, don't put things in the dishwasher that don't have to go in there. Um, because the dishwasher is a very harsh environment. So never put bladed tools. Your knives should not go in there. Your vegetable peeler. Um, anything that you want to keep sharp, don't put in there. Because the long time that it stays hot and wet 
and this strong soap is going to just degrade the edge. You also don't want to put anything that's wooden in there. Wood is a natural material. It will soak up that water, and then as it dries, it cracks. Um, so you're going to shorten the lifespan of anything wooden. Cookware doesn't really need to go in the dishwasher either. And if you, uh, you know, put it in there, we found some pans really get very degraded by it. A straight aluminum baking sheet will turn darkened. Um, the edges of a stainless steel pan may erode a little bit and become sharp. Oh, I do. You know, that. you just really want to pay attention to what you're putting in there. Use your glassware, your dishes, your your silverware in there. But a lot of the cooking utensils. Uh, set yourself up to comfortably and quickly wash them by hand. Yeah, and I'm going to admit right now, I do that. I I am lazy. I I do that. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. We're, we're with Lisa McManus and Hannah Crowley, executive editors for America's Test Kitchen and co-hosts of ATK's Gearheads on YouTube, talking with them about their new book, Kitchen Gear, The Ultimate Owner's Manual. And we want to hear from you at 800-642-1234. Is there a big ticket kitchen item that you think is worth the price tag? How about an item you regret buying? Is there a seemingly silly gadget you have in your kitchen that's actually quite useful? What's your desert island kitchen item? The the one thing that you just, desert island kitchen item, the one thing you just couldn't live without. Call 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Or post it on the Ideas Network Facebook page. We'll pick up this conversation coming up on Central Time. You're listening to Central Time on the Ideas Network. I'm Shireen Seward in for Rob Ferret. Right now we're picking up our conversation with Lisa McManus and Hannah Crowley, executive editors for America's Test Kitchen. They're co-hosts of ATK's Gearheads on YouTube and authors of the new book Kitchen Gear, the Ultimate Owner's Manual. We're talking to them about how to select, use, and maintain your kitchen equipment. You can call in at 800-642-1234 if you have an item in your kitchen that has held up throughout the years or even decades or have a question you'd like to ask. 800-642-1234. Hannah, usually when we're in the kitchen, we're dealing with heat, right? I mean, I'm wondering which materials should we be mindful of not getting too hot, whether it's in the oven or on the stove or microwave, and which materials can withstand the highest heat? Great question. We do a lot of thinking about this, and especially right now, I'm sure that folks have heard, you know, just the zeitgeist concerns about plastic. So we are very cognizant of when a a product has plastic on it or in it, and nonstick, like what is layered on your skillet and in many, many things in your household, inside your ketchup bottle, um, on all sorts of utensils, all over the kitchen. Um, that's a thin layer of plastic to prevent things from sticking. And you don't want to get that too hot because it can off-gas. And it off-gasses at around 500 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's when there are fumes coming off of the pan that are not good for you to ingest. Um, so you want to be really careful of anything that has plastic. and. Um, on the opposite side, you want you can take carbon steel and cast iron, you know, take those as hot as you want, put them on the grill, put them on the stove. You can't put them in the microwave, but mm-hmm. other than that, they are really versatile and super, super durable. Let's go to Megan from Appleton. Megan is with us now. Hi, Megan. Thanks for calling. Hi. I've been looking to get my mother um, an immersion blender. She's got pretty bad um, arthritis, and so I'm looking for something that's ergonomical and 
um, will be great for when she's canning applesauce or pureeing soups. Oh, okay. Uh, well, Hannah, do you have any recommendations for Megan? Yeah, we love the brawn. Um, actually, we do quite a bit of testing looking at um, diminished options for folks with diminished hand strength as well, because that comes up for sure. Um, so I would check out the brawn. I would also, you know, see how where the trigger button is to turn the product on, you know, make sure that's in a comfortable spot where she's got some strength um, going for her. And, you know, definitely check out our review and I can send you over something separately for her of uh, the best option there as well. And, and this is all in the book too. Um, I think there are a lot of products that require certain angles or certain wrist or hand or arm strength. And we try to consider that too in testing. Um, we'll have lefties and righties and, and folks of all different abilities because we're all so different. So we want to make right. sure we find tools that work for everybody. Thanks for that. That's really interesting and, and a really, really good information. I'm glad Megan called with that. Uh, let's talk with Dave now. Dave is calling from Madison. Hi, Dave. What's your question? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a glass top stove. I think they're becoming really common right now. And to my great annoyance, uh, the first time I used cast iron on it, it scratched it. So I can't use cast mm. iron. That's really sad. Uh, I do use, sometimes use my Le Creuset, um, you know, Dutch oven. I'm real careful with it. And then I also find with my older um, Revereware pots, they're not flat bottom, so they rock and roll and don't really heat very well. So I guess I'm looking for, you know, what do I what do I do? What are my good substitutes, or am I missing something in in the way I'm using cast iron? I'll take my comment off the air. Thanks. All right, great. Lisa, how about you? What advice do you have for Dave on the cookware? Um, well, yeah, with more people getting glass top electric stoves in particular, the flatness of the pan is kind of important. Um, you can use your cast iron, but again, you probably know this, that if you pull or drag or move it on the glass, you can scratch it. If you're doing things like using a heavy cast iron pot or pan, lift it gently, place it, don't slide it back and forth. Um, don't drag it across the surface. Um, if you want to work with those uh, that cookware that isn't quite flat, you can basically add a little more oil and give the pan more time to preheat. You're going to give it several minutes to let that heat spread through the pan so it's less dependent on full contact with each spot of the bottom on the, um, on the surface. And that will help mitigate that uneven bottom of the pan on that very flat top. It's unfortunate that it's so common because it's a, not a really great, glass is a terrible conductor of heat. And I know it looks sleek, but it's not the greatest way to cook. <laughs> yeah, oh, we all sure. have it now. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's not a great stove design, I'll be honest. But the way to work around that is give your pans time to preheat fully, maybe use a little more oil, to, and let that that will convey some of the heat through it and carry it out a little bit better than if you're trying to use just a little tiny patch of oil because it will it will not transmit the heat as fully. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for the advice on that. Appreciate the call as well. John is with us now from Wanakee. Hi, John. You have a favorite gadget you want to recommend. What is it? Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for taking my call. Have you guys ever heard of a rotato? A rotato. 
a real potato. I don't think I have. Lisa Hannah, no? No, it doesn't sound familiar. What is it? It's it's one of those gizmos that you see on TV, believe it or not. And I, I don't know, I picked it up at Bed Bath or Beyond or something like that a while back, started using it, and then they discontinued them. I went and bought two more because I liked it so much just to get the blades <laughs> for it. Essentially, you stick a potato on it and you put the little arm on it that has a blade and you, you crank it, you turn it, and it does a beautiful job of peeling apples and potatoes and anything that you need to peel. It's super easy. I've actually taken a potato and peeled and peeled and peeled and peeled and peeled until it's a half an inch in diameter. And all those shavings make great hash browns. It's a, mm. it's a really ridiculous little tool, but I love it. It's the greatest thing. And I have a brawn full immersion, immersion blender and I love it. All right. <laughs> Great advice. Thanks, John. We'll have to try that. I appreciate it. We've got about a minute left, and, and I just want to ask. I mean, you, your book has this helpful gift-buying guide. I'm just wondering if there's a can't-go-wrong gift you recommend for weddings or housewarmings. Lisa? I love our favorite little salt cellar and a box of Malden's Flake Salt. It's a wonderful little way to, for, especially for housewarming, um, it's a beautiful little square box with a cedar lid that stays open so you can reach them with one hand and a box of beautiful flaked Malden salt, which is great on salads and all kinds of things. I think it's a nice little gift and it, they're so pretty. Briefly, Hannah, do you have a favorite, a, a can't go wrong gift you recommend? Sure. Well, for a wedding, if you're going to splurge, of course, a Le Creuset Dutch oven is a fun choice um, for like a housewarming or something like that. I love to gift a quarter or an eighth of a sheet pan. It's such a funny little gift, but you can tie like a cute bow on it and, you know, give it to them with a bottle of wine and they will call you in a month and be like, I use this thing every single day. Fantastic. I want to thank both of you, Lisa and Hannah, for joining us. This has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for having us. Lisa McManus and Hannah Crowley are executive editors for America's Test Kitchen. They're co-hosts of ATK's Gearheads on YouTube and co-authors of the new book Kitchen Gear, The Ultimate Owner's Manual. They talk to us about kitchen equipment, how to choose it, how to use it, and how to make it last. Coming up Monday on The Morning Show, the new Wisconsin State Toxicologist at the State Laboratory of Hygiene joins to talk about the lab's public health and environmental focus, along with issues facing labs around the state. Also, the state capitol report happens on Monday as well on The Morning Show. You're listening to Central Time. I'm Shereen Seward, in for Rob Verrett. Now, after being without a Speaker of the House since October 3rd, when Republican Kevin McCarthy of California was ousted from the position, Republicans united on Wednesday this week to elect Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana to run things in the House. Johnson has been a vocal and unapologetic ally of former President Trump and was a proponent of overturning the results of the 2020 election. In particular, the votes in Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. What more should we know about who Johnson is and how he ascended to this powerful position, just third in line behind the vice president to become the leader of the United States? And now that the three weeks of speakerless dust has started to settle, how is he going to be part of addressing the multiple crises facing the federal government at home and abroad? And we want to hear from you at 800-642-1234. 
What questions do you have about Johnson and his ascension? What thoughts do you have about how things played out this week in Congress with multiple candidates emerging then flaming out for various reasons, not the least of which was a still powerful thumbs up or thumbs down from former President Trump? Call 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email us at ideas at WPR.org. Maurice Shepard is a professor of political science at Madison College. Maurice, welcome back to Central Time. Hi, Shereen. Thank you. So what was going through your mind as you watched the events of this week unfold? Uh, uh, well, great uncertainty, like most Americans, also with the hope that it would end uh, sometime soon. So uh, as you mentioned already, you know, just over three weeks ago, the uh, former uh, uh, Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, was um, removed. And uh, now we have a, a new Speaker, Mike Johnson. And I think we're, we're heading into new territory here, particularly in terms of Mike Johnson, um, putting aside for the moment again, sort of all of the chaos over the last three and a half weeks or so. Um, for uh, Representative Johnson, now Speaker Johnson, um, he comes to the speakership not with a lot of leadership, political leadership experience. So um, he's always been sort of someone sort of in the background, producing, once again, papers, filing lawsuits and that sort. So um, very little is known about him or if he has, once again, a particular leadership style and how he will actually perform. So uh, there's still a, a bit of uh, a great deal of unknown here, I should say. Given all of that, when Johnson finally emerged from, let's face it, it was a scrum, how did you view that landing point? Were you surprised that this is what happened? I wasn't necessary. Well, I wasn't surprised for two reasons. One, um, in terms of modern American politics, particularly in the House, and in particular, in terms of the Republican Party, um, the party cohesion is um, is breaking apart, greater, once again, polarization and fragmentation within parties. So, you know, that was difficult. In terms of, uh, for Mike Johnson, he actually sort of, you know, having gone through the first few rounds of, once again, uh, Steve Scalise and, and Jim Jordan, you know, it sort of became clear that they would need someone that, um, of course, Democrats would not vote for this person, but someone that all Republicans could sort of get behind. I think Mike Johnson, uh, he fit the bill because, one, he was low pro profile. He did not have a lot of, once again, other Republicans who uh, maybe really hated him. Maybe they didn't like him, but they didn't hate him. Second, um, as you pointed out earlier, um, he's a mega supporter. So he, again, and he supported um, former President uh, Trump. Um, so he got that stamp of approval. And third, I think for the Republican, uh, for the Republicans in the House, they were just exhausted. Um, it was time to move on. Mm -hmm. um, they were exhausted, and plus they understood that um, the, that the United States and the world needs a functioning Congress. Do you feel like Johnson's lower profile perhaps worked in his favor, given that Representative Jim Jordan has a regular presence on Fox News, and he failed? Yeah, I've, I've heard some comment, uh, commenters make uh, uh, the, the remark that um, uh, for Mike Johnson, he's just uh, Jim Jordan in a better suit. <laughs> so um, it, in terms of uh, in terms of political ideology, I don't think that they are in terms of comparing uh, Johnson to Jordan. I don't think they're very far apart. I think where there is a difference in terms of uh, Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, is that um, 
one, he's a lawyer. He's a trained lawyer, um, uh, social, strong social conservative, similar uh, uh, to Jordan. Um, and also, uh, again, his, as you mentioned already, his background, he's, he's been more sort of a person, again, not out front, again, where Jim Jordan was always sort of leading with his chin, if you were, um, or Mike Johnson, he was always somewhat in the background, but always involved. When you look at his record, you can see that this is someone who has always been, again, part of not just the Republican Party, but a strong um, social conservative, strong social conservative wing of the Republican Party. We're talking about the new Speaker of the House of Representatives who took the gavel this week after a contentious few weeks in Washington. Maurice Shepard is a professor of political science at Madison College, sharing his perspective. You can call in with yours, 800-642-1234. What more should we know about who Mike Johnson is? Well, I think it's important to know his um, as much as we can, his his record and who he is. Um, there was an article, uh, I think, just yesterday in Politico that sort of highlights the fact that he has a he has a he has a long paper trail, um, articles that he has written, interviews he, he has given, um, lawsuits that he has been a part of, such as the one I think it was uh, Texas versus Pennsylvania that sought to again sort of overturn as a as a um, election denier of the 2020 uh, presidential election sought to overturn once again that election. Um, we need to know sort of how he thinks. And now his paper trail, the paper record, uh, people are going to start taking a closer look at that. It's it's not enough to just say that this individual is a social conservative, someone who is clearly, and he has stated on the record clearly against, once again, um, reproductive rights, uh, issues related to gender identity. Uh, it's important to see exactly you know, how he thinks and what this might mean for legislation moving into the future, being the Speaker of the House, he will be able to set that agenda in terms of what legislation comes to the floor and what doesn't. He hinted at his Christian faith and philosophy on Christianity's central role in American government when he was making his first remarks to the House. Here's a clip. It was in 1962, in 1962, that, that our national motto in God We Trust, was adorned above this rostrum. And if you look at the little uh, guide that they give uh, tourists and constituents who come and, and, and visit the house, if you turn in there to about page 14 in the middle of that guide, it tells you the history of this. And it says very simply, these words were placed here above us. This motto was placed here as a rebuke of the Cold War era philosophy of the Soviet Union. That philosophy was Marxism and communism, which begins with the premise that there is no God. This is a critical distinction that is also articulated in our nation's birth certificate. We know the language well, the famous second paragraph that we used to have children memorize in school, and, and they don't do that so often anymore, but they should. He went on then to recite that all men are created equal, emphasizing that men are created, not born equal. What do you make of that? Again, he is now that he is having greater exposure, we're getting to see more in terms of who and what he really is. Um, I would say for myself and, and maybe for others, um, we need to give him a chance to you know, sort of get into the position to understand what his role is. Um, I think, again, and he is, he is a trained constitutional lawyer. So this is not someone who uh, doesn't 
uh, understand what he's saying. He fully understands what he's saying. But if you're going to be, again, an elected official, in particular, the Speaker of the House, um, there needs to be some balance there. Um, we have the freedom to, and I am not a, a once again, a theologian, but, um, you know, we have the right to, once again, our religious beliefs and that sort. But when it comes to government, I think particularly for the American founders, they looked at government in a much more pragmatic way in terms of American pragmatism work. Government should be there to serve the people and uh, religious beliefs and that sort. You know, that's a private matter. We have Chris on the line from Fairchild who wants to weigh in here. Hi, Chris. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, So first off, I would like to just point out that uh, Representative Johnson was one of the key writers of the amicus brief, which was used Uh, in many cases to push forth the agenda of disqualifying many electors in the United States, um, which I happen to disagree with. Uh, Also, I would like to point out uh, that any use of language that refers to these people as um, Republicans, I feel is inaccurate. Uh, I think this really points out a new fractionality within that party and a new form of conservatism, which is not consistent with what we would consider the GOP. Thanks, Chris, for that call. Maurice, what do you think about what Chris said? I think Chris is on the mark with that, particularly as it relates to, once again, the idea in terms of the Republican Party. um, And uh, that, one, in that in terms of American political parties, they've never been absolutely once again sort of uh, unified on anything there there have always been sort of factions within uh, the democratic party and also in the republican party Um, what we see happening right now um, on the republican side is again a faction there but again that faction in terms of their ideas and their ideology um, it's not clear if that will be how can i put this put to the best benefit of Americans, that if their ideas are so far sort of to the extreme, they may be inconsistent with with most Americans. And I think Chris is also right in terms of, again, identifying those individuals maybe, once again, as Republicans, but of a particular brand. And that's not to say that they are good or bad, but I think at first what we need to do is be able to identify those individuals and understand, again, the, their position. But they also need to, um, such as, again, the new speaker, Um, uh, Mike Johnson, articulate how his views, how his ideas will translate into policy. Because at the end of the day, that is what this is about. These individuals are elected by the people and once again, working for the people. We have a a liberal democracy and that's what they're there for, to work for the people, to protect our rights and our liberties. We're talking about the new Republican Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Our guest is Maurice Shepard, professor of political science at Madison College. And we want to hear what you think at 800-642-1234. What should Speaker Johnson be prioritizing? What do you want to see from him as leader of the House? As a voter, how does this election influence how you're thinking about casting your ballot in 2024? Call 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or post on the Ideas Network Facebook page or email us at ideas at WPR.org. We'll pick up the conversation coming up next on Central Time. 
You're listening to Central Time. I'm Shereen Seward, in for Rob Ferrett. We continue our talk with Maurice Shepard, professor of political science at Madison College, talking about the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, and what he faces right out of the gate in that position. The number to call is 800-642-1234. Maurice, I want to circle back to something that Chris said. He talked about the deep fractionality of the GOP right now. Does it feel like today's version of the GOP is more fractured than in the past? Uh, Yes, across the board in terms of American politics. uh, We talk a lot about uh, political polarization. That polarization occurs between the two dominant parties, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. But what we're also seeing now is greater polarization within the parties. So even in terms of on the left for the Democratic Party, you know, they have their extremes to the left. In the Republican Party, they have their extremes, uh, once again, sort of to the right. And the challenge here is this, in political science, we talk about having responsible political parties, parties that are, one, unified and that can put together a a coherent um, legislative agenda, but then two, can take that legislative agenda and implement it, and once again, and get that work done. I think what what we see in the Republican Party and also again to the Demo- in the Democratic Party to some extent um, that this that there's no such thing as a responsible party at this point in American politics that the the fractions and the polarization that's taking place between the parties and within the parties it is uh, to some degree short circuiting um, the work of government. Let's hear what Dennis has to say. Now, Dennis is calling from Two Rivers. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for the call. Hi. I've heard of, heard Glenn Grothman from the 6th District praise Mike Johnson for being a dedicated Christian, which irks me because as far as I know, since Mike Johnson is supposedly this great uh, constitutional lawyer, they, he and Glenn Grothman and others should know we're supposed to have separation of church and state. This is not a case of saying, well, hey, it's my church and my state separated from yours. What do you think about what Dennis said about the separation between church and state, and why is the Christian nature of some of these um, these representatives important to people? As a political scientist, I agree with Dennis wholeheartedly. Um, we have enough on our plate, quite frankly, um, in terms of church and state uh, on the state side of this that that needs to be ad- that needs to be addressed. Um, and the two things I'll just highlight: there's a long list of things that Republicans would want, uh, for example, in terms of the Biden impeachment to go forward again, uh, increasing border security. But the two that really stand out right now for once again the new Speaker of the House, the budget. Um, we're headed once again. The uh, we passed a continuing resolution to push the budget issue out until November 17th. That is coming up in a few weeks. That is what I think the new speaker, quite frankly, needs to focus on. That will have ramifications for Wisconsinites if we um, again go without a budget and, gov- and the and the government quote unquote shuts down. And even if there's a partial shutdown, that will impact once again Wisconsinites in terms of federal offices will be closed. Um, some installations like Fort McCoy, again, will be uh, impacted. So that has real world ramifications. And the second thing is uh, for, once again, the new speaker um, needs to focus on, a, on the upcoming 2024 election cycle. Uh, right now, the Republicans have a razor thin majority in Congress. And from all the forecasts that I've looked at right now, 
2024 is going to be it's going to be a, a, a very tight race. It's going to be a squeaker. And there are two districts here in Wisconsin, um, uh, the first congressional district and the third congressional district, um, in which uh, the forecasts are those particular those particular two districts, um, they may be in play. Let's talk with Nate in Milwaukee. Hi, Nate. Thanks for calling. I, I understand you have some concerns about the Ukraine funding. Yes. Uh, thank you uh, for uh, taking my call. Um, right now, we have a major war going on of Russian aggression. And it was concerning to me that uh, some Republicans in the House were essentially playing around with the funding to help Ukraine even before they had to uh, stop and find themselves a new, uh, a new speaker for the House. And so that is something I can't see as anything but uh, kind of reckless. And I'm also, um, I want to give him a chance to, to show himself, but it is extremely concerning to me that he was involved, as other people have already mentioned, in the effort to basically uh, deny the proper results of the 2020 election. And also, Louisiana itself doesn't exactly have the best reputation when it comes to either corruption or gerrymandering. So there is some reason to be a little bit cautious there, even though I want to give him a chance to basically say, show what he can do. And I don't um, praise or criticize him for Christianity, uh, but the um, Ted Cruz is supposed to be a Christian, and he bears false witness. He was involved in the election, uh, anti-election efforts in 2020, and a whole bunch of other stuff, which were largely negative. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate you weighing in on that. And, uh, you know, the election stuff, it, that's that's one thing. And then the Ukraine thing. Uh, Maurice, what about the Ukraine funding? Is it, What's going to happen here? Uh, these are uh, in terms of support for Israel, in terms of funding, and also for Ukraine. These are complex issues. Uh, and this is where there is a an ideological difference in terms of there are some individuals, I would say, that see the state and see the United States in a pot. We call it sort of a, as a positive state, um, that it, it needs to be active. Also, the idea that that the United States has a has a responsibility to um, you know, support free democracies around the world. Uh, with, with, in terms of funding for Israel, um, it, they're in an emergency situation right now. Most individuals, particularly in government, believe you know, that funding is critical and necessary. The issue with Ukraine, there is a policy argument here. I think that for uh, some individuals, they simply haven't made that argument clear. Uh, they want to support Ukraine, but there needs to be a strategy moving forward. I think for some, we don't, we may not want to have sort of funding for Ukraine become sort of an endless war or an endless conflict that we, once again, uh, support. So there is an argument to be made in terms of funding for Ukraine, um, in terms of, again, what are the goals of, once again, the Ukrainian, con what, what the Ukrainian people want to achieve? Is it achievable and that sort? Um, but uh, to just sort of, as some individuals have, have done, sort of blanketly say, oh, we just won't fund Ukraine or cut off the funding, I, I, that is um, un-American, to say the least. In our last 30 seconds, what will you be watching for in terms of his effectiveness as speaker in the coming weeks and months? To see if he can develop a leadership style. If one, if he is a leader, not everyone's a leader. Again, he has risen to 
um, uh, pretty high ranks within the Republican Party um, based on, once again, his skill as a lawyer and you know, supporting, again, the former president. Now um, we have to see if he truly can lead. He will lean a lot on the current Republican leadership, um, Steve Scalise um, and, and others, uh, what's it, uh, Stefanik, um, the Republican uh, conference chair. Uh, but at some point, he's going to have to take the reins and he's going to have to sort of lead the way. Thank you so much, Maurice. We could have talked for another hour, I think. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> Maurice Shepard is a professor of political science at Madison College. We talked with him today about the chaotic road to Republicans electing Mike Johnson as Speaker of the House of Representatives this week and the work he has ahead of him. Coming up Monday on Central Time, the FCC could bring back net neutrality rules. We'll find out what's changed since the rules were repealed and what a new change could mean for you. And a look at red flag laws in the wake of a deadly shooting in Maine. It's all coming up Monday here on Central Time. Coming up after the news, we talk about the scariest movies of all time, just in time for Halloween. I'm Shereen Seward, in for Rob Barrett. You're listening to Central Time on the Ideas Network.